as I said at the beginning of service, uh, today is historically the uh, remembrance of Barnabas, the a great missionary who accompanied Paul in spreading the gospel, a great uh, occasion to uh, apply that uh, same value uh, to ourselves. But we actually didn't go with those readings because we don't even need them. Uh, to make that point today, we also have in our gospel lesson the call of Matthew, where Jesus himself shows his great desire to seek and to save the lost. And for that matter, we could use Matthew himself as well as an example of one who has been sought and saved by Christ and as such follows in his footsteps to share that good news as a disciple, an apostle, and ultimately an evangelist who wrote the book in which we read this story. And it is a a powerful one as we look at the the interaction uh, between Jesus and his point of view compared to the Pharisees and their point of view as the leading religious figures uh, who were most people's role models for what it meant to be good people. At the beginning of the reading, the, the Pharisees see Jesus' behavior, and they're baffled by it. They ask the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because he was hungry? I guess, yeah. You have to understand that this is, the question it it is, because he's not just eating with people in, in the cafeteria, Uh, That in the cultural uh, perception of the time, eating uh, any meal was an act of fellowship, kind of like a a Thanksgiving meal would be for us or something. You don't just share that with anybody. That's family. Eating together means a a fellowship together, uh, a a recognition of a, a real relationship there. And so what they're, they're really asking is, why is Jesus friends with these people? And again, to, to understand the, uh, the context, the tax collectors are talking about, as I'll generally try and point out when it comes up in gospel lessons, these aren't just IRS employees. It's not that they're unpopular because no one likes paying taxes. It's the tax collectors are really viewed as traitors because they're tax collectors for Rome. The taxes they collect aren't building hospitals and streets in Jerusalem. Uh, The common combination of tax collectors and sinners is actually changed just a little bit in Matthew 21 later on in the book, tax collectors and prostitutes, which is a, a... natural pairing, uh, because from the point of view of the people at the time, the uh, tax collectors were, had basically prostituted themselves like mercenaries to the highest bidder, selling their services for wealth and power to work for the Roman government uh, to help in the oppression of their own people. Uh, they were traitors to the Jewish people, and uh, the the worst kind of uh, uh, mercenary 
self-centered, money-grubbing, ladder-climbing sort of people uh, in the view of the Pharisees. And so why was Jesus hanging out with these people? Why was Jesus involving himself in relationship and fellowship with people like that? Well, Jesus' response was, ultimately, if you boil it down, well, why aren't you? Why aren't you? Because Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners. It was shocking uh, to the the Christ, or the, the religious leaders of the time uh, who expected the Messiah to come to reward the righteous. Uh, that he was going to come and give the righteous their righteous reward. But Jesus says that he came to call sinners. It's not just an isolated uh, theme in his ministry either. He would go on to tell the parable of the wedding feast, how uh, the people who were initially invited refused to come, and so the uh, king sent out his messengers into the highways and byways to invite anyone they could find. Maybe even more pointedly, uh, that passage in Matthew 21 I referred to, which begins with another parable of the two children, where Jesus said there is a father uh, who uh, gave uh, his, uh, his son a, a job to do, and his son said, no, not going to do it. So he goes to his other son and says, hey, uh, you go and do it. And he says, yes, I will do it. But he doesn't. And the one who initially refused feels bad about it and comes back and does it. He says, well, which one is going, the father going to be pleased with? Of course, the one who did it, even though they initially refused, not the one who said they would and wouldn't. And Jesus applied that to them, saying, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Jesus came uh, to call sinners. And the value of that is to see that those society and culture looks down on as wicked are in many cases actually the first to be saved while those who look on themselves as righteous and holy are left behind. It's a shocking idea. In Jesus' day, and still in many times and places in, in our day as well. It's followed up, though, with uh, a, another uh, application that's in some ways, maybe even more shocking to many people uh, today that Jesus came to call sinners and make them well. 
Well, the analogy Jesus made here is that it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but a sick, but the sick. In other words, that Jesus didn't come to condone their sin or to approve of their illness, but to heal them and to bring them to repentance. Jesus, the, the noteworthy application or one of the noteworthy applications of this, especially in our day of guilt-free living and universal tolerance, is that Jesus didn't actually dispute that these people were sinners. Where many people today would like to read this or think of this as Jesus doing so, when the Pharisees asked, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus didn't say, who are you to call these people sinners? He said, because I came for sinners. He came for sinners because he loves them and wants them to be saved. And he finds himself eating with them and sharing fellowship with them in many cases Because the people who feel they're so righteous and holy that they don't need him won't eat with him. But Jesus didn't come to leave the sick and the sinners where they're at. He came to bring them to repentance uh, that they may know the way of God and believe in him. That's a great model uh, for us uh, as we apply that to ourselves, both in our relationship to God and our relationship with the world. And the two go beautifully together uh, in Lutheran doctrine, which is one of the reasons our our church is so well-suited to be uh, an evangelistic missionary church. As Lutheran Christians, we're perfectly suited to call sinners to repentance because that's what we do in every service. Because we recognize ourselves as fellow sinners who are inviting other sinners to join us in the repentant faith in God's mercy. And this morning, we, we used Divine Service 4, which has a kind of trimmed down and succinct version of the confession. Uh, but it's so valuable. Uh, if you get in a, a discussion uh, with, with somebody and say, how dare you call me a sinner? How dare you call my lifestyle sinful? You know, you can answer back, practically every Sunday in church, you know how we begin the service? O Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess to you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you and justly deserved your present and eternal punishment. Or in uh, the other form, most merciful God, we confess before you that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. 
We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have justly deserved your present and eternal punishment. I'm not asking you to confess anything that I don't confess myself on a regular basis. That I am a sinner and I need Jesus. When we recognize about that about ourselves, why wouldn't we extend that to those around us in the world? Oh, they're bad people. They do bad stuff. So do I. Hey, well, what could I possibly offer them that could make a difference in their life? I don't know. Maybe the thing that makes a difference in my life when I hear that my sins are forgiven, that God loves me despite all my flaws and failures. We're so well set up uh, to share that gospel. And it's right at the heart of Lutheranism. Even in the, the very beginning of the Reformation, back in 1521, while Luther was still hiding out in, in uh, Coburg Castle, uh, translating the, the Bible into German, he got a letter from his good friend Philip Melanchthon, who was back at Wittenberg dealing with the, the chaos uh, of the early Reformation where uh, people were flying off the handle in every direction uh, willy-nilly. And uh, Melanchthon w- was wrestling with, what have we started? And how do I respond to all these people who are taking the, uh, what we're saying in every way to every length imaginable? How do I handle it? The peasants are starting to revolt Uh, The nobility is starting to massacre them. How do I handle that? And what if I do it wrong? What if I've already screwed it up beyond recovery? Well, Luther wrote to him a a famous letter. We have only in part, but that part of it is very powerful. Luther says, if you are a preacher of mercy... Do not preach an imaginary, but the true mercy. If the mercy is true, you must therefore bear the true, not an imaginary sin. God does not save those who are only imaginary sinners. Be a sinner, and let your sins be strong. But let your trust in Christ be stronger. And rejoice in Christ, who is the victor over sin, death, and the world. It's more familiar, perhaps, in a slightly different translation where Luther says, sin boldly, be a sinner, and let your sins be strong. Like the shocking words of Jesus, these words have shocked people ever since the Reformation, uh, who have used them out of context to suggest that Luther actually encouraged Uh, people to go and sin that the grace of God may abound, uh, as Paul told people specifically not to do in Romans chapter 6. But Luther isn't contradicting Paul, because even Paul himself 
uh, wrote to Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying deserving full acceptance. Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Now Luther's words to Melanchthon emphasize that we can't minimize our sins and have nothing to gain by doing so. That uh, rather than try to minimize our sin, recognize that Christ came for sinners like me. To freely admit our sins as we do at the beginning of the service in confession and absolution. And maximize our faith in God's forgiveness. And maximize our trust in his power. Because while we can't do anything to minimize our sins ultimately, the blood of Jesus can. The blood of Jesus can do what nothing else can by washing away our sins and making us holy and pure in his sight. Luther counseled Melanchthon and all of us uh, to not let your conscience be burdened with whether your best efforts have been or will be good enough. Because they weren't, and they won't be. But to rejoice that we're not saved by our best efforts. It's not the efficacy of our work, the wisdom of our decision, the purity of our intentions, the righteousness of our acts that save us. It's the grace of God the love of Jesus Christ, which is poured out for us on the cross. And not only for us, but for all people. For us to receive ourselves and rejoice in the the freedom from guilt and shame that that can give us and that alone can give us. And to rejoice in the love of neighbor, that that also builds up in our hearts. As we look at our fellow sinners and their sin no longer condemns them in our eyes uh, so that we are unashamed and unafraid to bring them that gospel of forgiveness, to show them the love and grace of God by our kindness and gentleness and by our forgiveness. The mission of Christ to seek and to save the lost, as we have in our our church motto, to strengthen the saved, because he came not for the righteous, but for sinners is a a powerful expression of the gospel, a beautiful gospel in in a nutshell uh, that reminds us that we belong to him and have fellowship with him because of his grace. And no sin can stand between us and him by the power of his blood. 
as such forgiven people, as those who have received such grace and mercy then, we go out uh, to proclaim it to the world, uh, to make friends with uh, the sinners and the unrighteous, not to condone their sin, uh, but to give them that beautiful comfort and peace that we have, that their sins are forgiven for Jesus' sake, that Christ has freed them from the guilt and power of sin, that they may walk in holiness and purity uh, with him all the days of their life and enjoy that same peace that we have, a peace that is beyond all understanding, which will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as we await the day of his glorious return. Amen.